<laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to have you do that either. Um, thank you for having me. It's good to be back here with you guys. I, I get to kind of come in as a guest speaker once a year to your morning study, and it really is a treat for me and an honor. So thank you for having me. This morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and covering the topics of speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Happy New Year! <laughs> so I guess Jesus thought this would be a great way to start. So it is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Um, I'm going to share a lot of my own story with you. Let me first tell you that the gifts of the Spirit are not a measure of maturity, which is why I get to share some of my story with you, not a measure of salvation. So um, the Corinthian church, the believers, they were babies, Paul says, and they were speaking in tongues. So there's nothing about the gifts of the Spirit that is connected with salvation, maturity, any of those things. The reason I'm going to share some of my story with you is um, I think every area of my life as probably many of yours, has baggage with it. This area does not for me. I did not know anything about all of these gifts. Um, 30 years ago, I attended a Wednesday night Bible study, went through the scripture. At the end of that Bible study, they encouraged us to pray and receive whatever gifts God had for us in this arena. And that was all that I knew. So I didn't have any barriers or stumbling blocks. And so that's why I want to share some of my own experience with you, because the early Christians, and we're going to see in Corinthians, had a lot of hesitations about these gifts. That's why Paul says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise the gift of prophecy, don't not allow the speaking of tongues. So they had a lot of hesitations. And I know in this room, we have a variety of women, all the way from no baggage, no knowledge at all, to maybe some hesitations. And so you're in good company. That's what the early Christians felt too. Um, so I'm hoping, my goal is this, that some of my examples and experiences will demystify the gifts just a tad for you. Um, I think we don't talk about them enough and we're kind of reluctant because of our hesitations of how they might be applied in the church today. Um, so I'm gonna share those things with you as well. Um, on your handout, there's three words that are going to kind of lay out the foundation for our conversation. The first is love. Love is the aim of the gifts, loving one another and loving God. That second word is desire. We'll see that Paul says you should desire these gifts. And I think as believers, sometimes we have a tendency to want to kind of quench our desires or set apart the desires of our heart, you know, offering ourselves as sacrifices to God to do whatever he wants, when in fact, many of the desires that rest deep in your, within your heart, the Holy Spirit has specifically placed there. So when we look at the spiritual gifts, actually, desire is what fuels our quest. So love, desire, and then the last is mystery. So why don't we first just start the morning by reminding our hearts that we live by a different story than the rest of the world. And by faith, we accept a lot of things that are supernatural and mysterious. A virgin birth, raising from the dead. So mystery is already part of our story. 
And so the spiritual gifts fall into that place of mystery. The thing I was really um, loved on by God as I was preparing this teaching is, though I don't have any baggage about the spiritual gifts, I didn't have like them placed in the story of God. Like, okay, I, you know, I get it. But actually, as I went through the scripture to prepare to share this morning, I saw like these gifts have been a part of the plan from the beginning all the way to the end. And they're woven in the story of God. And that's the other thing that I want you to see. They're not set apart. They're woven into his story. I think that's all my introduction. Sound good? Okay. We're going to pray and then see how this goes. God, I thank you for your presence with us here this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness, God, and your love for us. I thank you, God, that your, your plan is always the same. It's just always the same. It doesn't change. You are always, God, looking to redeem and to restore and to bring us back. Bring us back to your heart. Bring us back to your original plan. And I pray, God, that as we kind of take a look at these real, really, um, what I think are messy, messy gifts um, that you give to us, that you would place them in our hearts in the place that they should be. And then God help us to not be so hesitant. I ask that you would remove, remove any barriers that we might have, God, that we might just really receive the fullness of you this morning. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. Um, I have a little bit of an anchor for all the things that we're going to talk about this morning that comes out of the book of Ecclesiastics, and I'll read it more than one time. It's Ecclesiastics 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we're not going to go past the first five verses because the rest of 1 Corinthians really um, are some instructions on how the spiritual gifts are used and kind of bigger um, definitions of them. So we're going to just stay in these first five verses this morning. So if you want to follow along with me, it begins with pursue love. P pursue love, but strive eagerly for the spiritual gifts, above all, that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to human beings, but to God, for no one listens. He utters mysteries in spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies does speak to human beings for their building up, encouragement, and solace. Whoever speaks in a tongue builds, him up, builds himself up, but whoever prophesies builds up the church. Now I should like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so the church may be built up. So let's just start with defining tongues and what it is, and it's also on your handout. There's some bullet points for you and some scripture references. We're not going to be going through those. That just is a reference for you. But let's read together what the definition is. Tongues is a prayer or message, and it's typically spoken to God in a language that's unknown to the one speaking it. So that's pretty easy. I don't speak Spanish, but in order to speak Spanish, I would have to learn Spanish. That's not tongues. It's a language that is unknown to you, unpracticed, and yet you can speak in it. 
In order to understand the gift of tongues, you kind of have to follow the history of language throughout the scripture from beginning to end. So if we go back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, when they walked with God in the cool of the day, there was one language, and they had regular and easy access to him. Not just verbally, right? But non-verbally, we, we have language. You know, our eyes have a message, our body has a message, our touch has a message. So this is what Adam and Eve had with God in, in the Garden of Eden. Until sin came, and now there's a barrier, right? There's a barrier between them and God, and they're banished and all their descendants. And so that was the first break of language and relationship was in the Garden of Eden. And then if you move forward in Genesis to chapter 11, you, found, you find another barrier put in place when the Tower of Babel unfolds. Basically, this is after the flood, the people had settled in a town, the town of Shinar um, in Babylon, and they decided that they were going to build a tower that reached all the way to heaven which I guess is fairly creative. Except that the problem was is that God had specifically told them that he wanted them to multiply and disperse. Um, and, but this is what the people said. The people said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So the exact opposite of what God had said is what the people began. And so God imposed a barrier. This is when the different languages were born. He confused them so that their construction plans came to an end, and they naturally dispersed with the ones that understood each other. So the language now has more than one barrier. Not only a barrier between God, but now a barrier between one another. Up until this point in the Bible, the whole world had just one language. There was one common speech for all people. But now, many different languages emerge, and now we have more barriers that have been created. All is the result, right? Not of God and who he is. The whole problem in the Garden of Eden was really not his issue, the problem at the Tower of Babel wasn't his issue either. But God knew with the people at the Tower of Babel that this stairway to heaven would create more distance between him and them. And so out of his love for them, he imposed a barrier to stop that plan from moving forward. And then God begins. A lot of stuff happens in the Bible. <laughs> It's all good. You should read it. <laughs> a lot of stuff happens. But then God begins to reveal his redemptive plan for language. He chooses one people, the Israelites, with one language, Hebrews. And this is what will draw mankind back to himself. Through the nation of Israel, the Hebrew language would be used to communicate God's heart to his people. The problem was, is that most of the people across the earth didn't understand the language. The rest of the world didn't speak this language, so God's redemptive plan became was still unknown to the masses. Between Genesis and where we're going to go next, 
there's a bunch of stories. We're going to jump from Genesis now to Acts 2. Because as we follow the history of language, this is where a dramatic story takes place that changes everything. This is Pentecost. Pentecost was a pilgrim festival. According to Jewish law, all the adult men were to come together wherever they were living, and they would come to Jerusalem. It was a holiday. Shops were closed. School was out. The city streets were clogged with people. All these pilgrims had come from every point of the compass to celebrate the goodness of God and to bring in the wheat harvest. And it's here we, where we see a glimpse of God's reversal of divided languages. As a result of the Tower of Babel, human language is confused, a language barrier is created, but now, as the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, that language barrier is removed. And it's removed through what? The spiritual gift of tongues. Isn't that, like, beautiful? Like, who thought it was part of the plan from the beginning? Here's the scene, beginning in verse 5 in Acts 2. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, and that was the wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and then they list a bunch, Asia, and it goes on and on and on. Visitors from Rome, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? At Pentecost, the church received the first fruits of the redemption of language through the gift of tongues. Everyone heard the gospel in his own language. God was breaking down the division that was imposed at Babel. God's people would be defined not by tongue nor by culture, but by faith in the Messiah. Okay. So how does it work? How does this story work? How does tongues work? Um, true story. Are you ready? There's a woman she has since passed away that I spent over a decade in ministry with. Her name is Leslie. She had the gift of tongues. Her daughter, as she grew older, got specialized training in trauma recovery and spent some time in Uganda um, helping children and young women recover. So she comes home... Leslie's in her car, and her daughter, Rochelle, has given her a tape of um, some of the children and young women there singing. I was going to say if you've ever been to Uganda, but you probably haven't, but I have. And it's really cool to hear other people sing, right? Oh, it's beautiful. So Leslie pops in the tape to the car. This was a couple, you know, decades ago. Pops in the tape to the car. The music is beautiful, but it feels familiar to her. And then she realized. It was the spiritual, the same spiritual language on the tape was the one that God had given her years before. I mean, like, what kind of kindness is that of God? To have something so intimately connected with her own daughter in a people across the world 
who were speaking a language, and she came to understand that that was the gift of tongues, the specific language that she had been practicing for many years. It's always, ladies, so much more than we could ever think, right? Or imagine. Now, my own experience, like I said, I had, I had no barriers and no baggage with all these spiritual gifts. I have been given the gift of tongues. I have three different distinct languages. Now, I don't know how that happens. I didn't know any better to question it. Um, and I use them for different purposes. The one that I've practiced for over 30 years now is kind of like the original one. And it's more, it's, it's pretty. And I use it a lot in my worship, my private conversations with the Lord. Um, and it's, and it, it's the one I'm most comfortable with. I think what we think is, like, because these are miracles, right, and they're mysterious, is that it would, we, it would just be easy, and we would just, like, be able to do it. Um, but that has not been my experience. My experience has been that there's an, a measure of comfort in practicing. There's a measure of comfort that's acquired when you have, like, maybe like minds and like experience together. Um, and so this first tongue... Um, is really easy for me. I could, it, it is not something that requires God to initiate. It's been given to me. I could pray right now if that's what the Holy Spirit wanted without him activating it. It belongs here and it starts here. Given to me, but belongs here and starts here. The, se the second tongue I find myself praying in more when there's something a little bit more spiritually charged going on, maybe a difficulty in someone's life or a question that I have about whether or not this is, you know, um, a spiritual attack. So I would consider it more of a, like a, a way to fight, you know, what's happening in the spiritual world. And then the third tongue is harder. It's not easy. I don't really like it. I don't really know what it's about. So I find myself using it less. Um, so do you see how different it can be? You know? I don't think, I don't know, because I don't talk, I don't think we talk about this very much, right? Oh, if you're new this morning, I'm really sorry. We don't start our semesters out talking about some of these like crazy things. Um, but sometimes I think we, I think we should at least have a conversation about it. And it's really okay, too, if you're in a different place. Um, that's okay. We, you know, like I said, this is not a measure of maturity or anything else except um, my own experience with these gifts. Okay, take a look at your handout. While I get a little sip of water, there's some bullet points. Um, what tongues is, not every believer receives it. There, it's always orderly and controlled. Its purpose is to glorify and worship God, edify the church when an interpreter is present. And it's usually used um, in our private relationship with God. And this gift, as Paul says, in the book of Corinthians 14 should be encouraged. So stay with your handout for a minute. because we're going to move right into interpretation of tongues, which comes alongside tongues when tongues is used more publicly or corporately. Um, but we also can group interpretation of tongues with prophecy because they differ from 
the spiritual gifts of tongue. Like I told you before, the spiritual gift of um, speaking or worshiping in tongues is something that is given and is initiated by me that is different from interpretation and prophecy. Interpretation and prophecy requires a revelation. So it is initiated by God. You can have the gift, but you don't initiate the access or the application of it because it requires a revelation. And I'm sorry to warn you, tell you this morning, you simply are not capable of a revelation of God's. So it requires God to reveal something. So interpretation and prophecy come from here. Speaking in tongues is a gift that's given and can come from here. So let's take a look at just some of the bullet points. Interpretation is defined as the supernatural ability to understand and explain a message that's uttered in an unknown language. It's a revelatory gift. It comes alongside tongues during corporate or small group gatherings for Christians, or sometimes even individually. Tongues that are interpreted have the impact or effect of encouraging and blessing the church to love and serve God and one another more deeply and effectively. Its purpose, again, is to glorify God. And its use, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, should also be encouraged. So how does this work? So I have had... Um, I have been given the gift of interpretation, but its use in my life is far more limiting than the gift of tongues. Makes sense, right? Because its use requires a revelation from God. So um, there are a couple of examples I can give you. One setting was at a women's little Bible study in a home, um, and there was one of the women in the group that spoke in tongues. I don't think I knew at that moment that I had the gift of interpretation. But as God kind of like moved us through our prayer and conversation, um, I encouraged her to go ahead and, you know, pray in her prayer language, and she did. And then I was able to give her the interpretation of that prayer. Now, it's not like a word-by-word thing. Okay, so you don't understand every single word that's spoken in tongues. It's more like... um, and I should say the other reason I probably, I probably have less practice with it is because it's more emotionally charged. I mean, come on, you're saying that God's revealed something to you, right? So there's a lot more, your heart beating fast, a lot more questioning of, is this God? Is this indigestion? You know, what's going on? Um, so it's not a translation, You're not translating another language. What you are is sharing through a human mind a revelation that God has given um, of the prayer, the prayer, the words that were just said. And my experience is is that you don't get it all at once, which is a bummer, right? Because then it would feel like it could just be wrapped up in a good red bow. Um, But both of the times that I can think of examples of um, interpreting tongues, it was not until I stepped into those first words and said them out loud that the rest of the revelation was provided. So there's a lot more trust, faith. Um, I think probably it also would help if I had more practice, but it's not up to me, right? Because this is about God and what he's revealing. 
always, 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 my experiences of tongues and interpretation shared outside of the private relationship with God have been small. Like this was a small group of women with like hearts and understanding. Um, the other time was on a Mexico mission trip, and it was with leadership. Um, so it's not necessarily a caution, but what I want you to see is just how, do, how is this applied? Um, I have experienced tongues in a corporate worship setting where there was not an, an interpreter, um, it, but it wasn't like a thus saith the Lord proclamation thing. Um, the person was a guest speaker, and they encouraged everybody in the body who did have the gifts of tongue to worship. And so people sang in their prayer language. So I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I'm not going to know. What I'm doing, this is not the whole movie. This is like a still frame. So when I'm sharing an example for you, what I'm trying to do is give you a still frame of the whole movie that it fits and we're not going to understand everything because it's mysterious, but it doesn't have to be something that is fearful or not desired or, oh, sad. Is that a revelation? <laughs> or um, not only not desired, but pursued in your own personal life. Okay, let's stay with the handout. We're going to go back to our story of God in just a minute. It's okay. It's just water. It's not juice or anything. Yeah, well, it's soaked, but it's going to be good. <laughs> I'm going to need that little sip. Thank you. Oh, this is... <laughs> I'm sorry. My daughter said she was going to listen to this tape. So, Rebecca, the water that I had on the podium, I just spilled all over my notes. <laughs> and there's girls that came up and helped me. Okay, let's stay with prophecy. Prophecy like interpretation is built on a revelation. It's a divine disclosure or unveiling in which the Spirit makes known something that was previously hidden. Paul encourages everyone to pursue the gift of prophecy. In fact, he says it's higher than the gift of tongues and interpretation. This gift is a blessing to the church, should not be quenched, the gift of prophecy is for the benefit of both believers and unbelievers. There's some cool stories there. I wrote down some references for you. And it's often used to strengthen, encourage, and comfort believers. Prophecy must be weighed and tested against scripture. We're going to talk about why that is. So New, Pro New Testament prophecy in scripture and in the early church was widespread. Um, you'll find all kinds of examples. Famines are predicted. There's four, dollar, four daughters of Philip that prophesied. Accounts, um, there's accounts everywhere in the churches of Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica. It's, it's everywhere. But I found it interesting that Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And so I kind of went, well, why is that? Because they're all spiritual gifts. And, and don't you notice that when we talk about gifts in the Bible, it's like everybody has a role. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody's part of this story. God's going to give you your part and your gifts. But Paul says, desire this above any of the other spiritual gifts. And so we're going to find out why when we return to Pentecost in Acts 2. Peter and some other members of the early church are in Jerusalem 
for the festival to celebrate the holiday. We think about 20 of them. There were the 11 disciples because Judas is, and they were going to replace Judas. They're going to like vote in a 12th disciple, but there were some other members, leaders of the church. So about 20 of them were gathered in a house. And this is what happened to them. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other languages as the Spirit enabled them. So this is what happened when they started speaking in tongues. There's big crowds, right, that heard the commotion of the wind came forward. And that's when the crowds heard the gospel being preached in their own language. And then Peter now goes outside. I guess they were in a house, unless they are on a rooftop. Um, but he addresses the crowd. And he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. So Peter's declaring that unlike in the Old Testament, when the exercise of prophecy was very limited in the Old Covenant, that God now would pour out his spirit on all people. See, because in the Old Testament, Moses was the only one allowed to enter God's glory on, Sinai, on Mount Sinai. Why does that sound like? What's that thing that kills you? Yeah, not that. And received the Ten Commandments. You know, there's, um, there's stories about how the priests couldn't even enter the tabernacle unless they were invited or they would, they would get zapped. Um, so in the Old Testament, there's lots of limitations to access to God's glory. In the New Testament, however, we see the disciples, we see tongues of fire not only coming down on them, but they're not in any way threatened. In fact, that pouring out of the Holy Spirit now becomes something that they would preach the gospel through. So do you see the barrier? We had the barrier like with languages that God was removing or reversing the limitation of multiple languages and the speaking of tongues. And now the barrier between people and God one of the glimpses to that removal is prophecy. In Revelation, John writes, it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Prophecy is fundamentally Christ-centered. It bears witness to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So through him, through Jesus, the barrier is removed, and through the gift of prophecy, God is giving us a glimpse of the life we have to come. Now, don't get confused. Jesus' work is complete. There is nothing else that needs to happen for that to be whole and complete for us, right? But you and I would agree that everyday life down on this earth, we don't have easy, uninterrupted access to God. 
right? We sin, we live in a broken world. And what Paul is saying is that prophecy is God's gift to us to get a glimmer, a picture of the moving, the, move, the, the whole movie on the life that is to come. You with me? Okay. This is part of God's redemptive plan. Prophecy and all the spiritual gifts in many ways are barriers that are being removed. The removal, that second barrier between us and God. As the gift of tongues gives us a glimpse of this reversal of divided languages, prophecy bears witness to the life of Christ. A glimpse of the removal of that barrier between us and God, not in the way of salvation, but in communication, relationship, language, walking with God in the cool of the day. It all fits. The mysterious, messy gifts are part of his redemptive plan. God is always working his way back to Eden. He's always working his way back to how it was supposed to be. The history of language is coming full circle and the history of us with God is coming full circle. In Revelation, oh no, I don't want to say that yet. I'm going to come back to that. Ecclesiastics, that verse I read to you in the beginning, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Okay, so let's talk about how prophecy works. Um, my experience with prophecy is similar to my experience with interpretation of tongues. I have less experience with it because it depends on God um, and a revelation. Um, so it feels very much like interpretation of tongues, a lot more hesitancy on um, the person who has the gift moving into giving a prophecy. But I also want you to know that, um, wait, did I say that? There's a lot of water here. Um, okay, so the gift of prophecy from the way I understand it, and I reviewed it with Mark, and he said, yeah, go ahead and say that. All right, so, because I wanted to make sure, right? Um, so the gift of prophecy is, is, for me, is separate from the Old Testament prophets who spoke the authoritative word of God that ended up in Scripture, okay? So... I personally don't think if you have the gift of prophecy that you're a prophet. I think those are separate things. Um, it, so because now in the gift of prophecy, it's a revelation that comes and must be interpreted through a human mind and a human heart. It's an interpretation of a revelation, which is probably why it has to be tested against scripture, right? Now, can you give a false prophecy and, you know, Lightning will strike you? I don't know, girls. I mean, I think God's mercy and grace over us, and particularly with these gifts that, you know, we don't know what we're doing. We're doing the best we can. I think as long as we continue to desire and um, seek him in the application, that we'll be okay. Um, but it has to be tested against Scripture. Remember, prophecy bears witness to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. Oh, I told you, nah. I don't have prophecy, I don't have any like different 
real different examples for prophecy that were that much different than interpretation, except that it now doesn't go through a person who has a prayer language. So that is like an extra step for me. Prophecy would come just directly. It doesn't go through um, the gift of tongues. It just comes directly from God. Similarly, it's not a moving, a whole moving picture. Or it might be an impression or a little bit of the picture and not until you step in and trust the Holy Spirit to take you the rest way through does it come full life with the whole message. At least that's my experience. Now, there, I'm sure that there's lots of other experiences that don't match that one. I'm just trying to share so you have a little bit of, oh, okay, well, then maybe that's how that works. Um, so let's go back. I told you before, there's a, there's a phrase that Eldridge uses where he says, there's a secret set within each of our hearts. It's the desire for life as it was meant to be. And when I think about these gifts, I think about the kindness of God in helping us imagine the life that was meant to be and that eternity is set in our hearts for that. So there are certain desires and hopes and dreams that are very um, closely connected and aligned with what God has placed in us, which is that picture of eternity, all the way back to Eden on how things were meant to be. In the book of Revelation, there's a picture of Eden restored. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. There's a secret set within each of our hearts. It is the desire for life as it was meant to be. Another true story, cool thing, because it's in the Bible, is even language will come full circle. Revelation 7 in heaven, every nation, tribe, people, and tongue will join together to praise God with one language. Don't you love that? We're like, we're just going to go back to Eden and the way it was always meant to be. There's this great scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf like fell into that pit you know, of fire from the bridge. You will not pass, he says. Um, anyway, there's a scene with Sam and Gandalf, when Gandalf then appears. And Sam says to him, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happening to the world, he says. And Gandalf replies, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. And as Sam listened, the thought came to him, that he had not heard laughter like this, the pure sound of merriment. Everything sad is going to become untrue. So as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, let love be our highest goal, and we should desire the special abilities this spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. 
Probably because it's the story of Jesus, right? Prophecy bears witness to the life and death and resurrection of Christ. So love is our aim. Desire fuels our quest and mysteries the pathway. I'm going to pray just as we close this, um, this part of the, our time together. And um, as I pray, you can actually ask God to give you whatever gifts he has in mind for you. Um, that can just be a prayer from your heart um, right now or later or not. It's okay. But if you just want to know if he has more for you, then go ahead and pray that in your heart as I'm closing this morning and then continue to desire and look to him to show you what those gifts are. I always want the gift of healing. That's off track, I know. But <laughs> wouldn't that be like really cool? Like not because you actually, not because God actually heals a person, but just that you were like the vehicle for that kind of relief in a person's life, Right? That would just be so cool. So anyway, my own personal desire. All right, let's close. Father, I just thank you so much. I just am so grateful for your heart towards us, God. That wherever we are with you is really okay. We're okay. God, if we are hesitant this morning with these gifts and they're just, then we're on a journey of discovery. And that's okay. God, those that are there in that part of their journey, God, I just pray for them that, that you would come and that your presence of peace and security and confidence, God, would overwhelm them, that you would speak just your sweet, God, words to them um, of direction, God, and acceptance. For those of us, God, who really... Um, we just didn't have any baggage to think it could that it was any other way, um, Father, than um, for the gifts that you have given us, God, help us. Help us to be faithful, God, to access them and apply them in our walk with you and our walk with one another. And God, always, always cover us with your grace and mercy um, when we may step outside the lines, God. Um, I know you are there to bring us back. It's okay. God, I know that the gifts can be explosively loving and explosively damaging, so we pray for protection over that, God, that we would not hurt or harm one another with such beauty that you've given into our hands. And God, for those um, in this room that all this did for them was go, hey, I I want some of that. Um, I pray for them, God. It, it is such a simple thing to come before you and ask. It's no different, God, than anything else we pray for or ask for. I pray for them, God, that you would pour out your spirit on them, God, like you did at Pentecost, God, and empower them, God, to live the life of a follower, God that these things, God, might enable us to get glimpses of how life was always meant to be. That, yes, God, you are here present with us in this journey on earth, but there is a hope that is in the future 
that is far more, God, than we could ever dream or imagine. And it is simply your kindness that gives us glimpses to that in this world that we live in now. We love you. We surrender the rest of our time to you this morning, God. Pray your covering and your blessing over everyone in this room. Amen.